All right, we are in, uh, we are doing uh, Matthew 26, 27, 28. That's what our fall is. Uh, we started on the uh, September 17th, and we're going to just before uh, Thanksgiving. Uh, so we're using these three chapters. Uh, we finished 26. Uh, if you remember, 26 was uh, the beginning of, of Matthew with a lot of enthusiasm wanting to tell us the story. So we're right in the middle of the story. Uh, he told us about Jesus proclaiming one more time, this is why I'm in Jerusalem. This is what's going to happen. There's going to be this crucifixion and then ultimately the resurrection uh, from the dead. Uh, we saw the anointing by the woman who became our model. So that, that's the spirit that we come to 26, 27, 28. We're bringing our gifts, our worship, our pray our praise to him and we did that really well today so uh we're we're uh the band is awesome wasn't it? They, they were just fantastic and so they help us you know we're not bringing costly perfume we're just bringing ourselves and offering it uh to christ in celebration of him uh we watched as um judas began to uh to lay out this betrayal that we'll see even this morning uh we talked about the last supper and how how Christ brings that to about. We walked into Gethsemane uh, with him and then watched uh, him be arrested in the beginning of the, the trial of, of Christ. And so today, uh, we are thinking about um, the, moving on from this story, recognizing what is happening here. You know, every human heart, Jesus Christ makes a claim on every human heart. You know, his pursuit of me, his pursuit of you. You have never been pursued by a lover like God has pursued you. Do you believe that? I know maybe you've, you've pursued somebody in a love relationship or somebody that you believe. Uh, you've pursued uh, maybe trying to get your kids to be where they need to be and what they need to be, but nobody has pursued you like God has pursued you. Every human heart. See, he made you to love him, to love him of your own free will, uh, to respond to the emptiness that is in your heart that can only be filled uh, in, or on, not only on earth, but for eternity by Jesus Christ. So Jesus came. Jesus came not only to give his life for you, but he came because he was after you. <laughs> he was after you. He came for you to pour out your heart and your love uh, for him. So Jesus Christ makes claim on every human heart and every heart must decide what to do with Jesus. The most important and inescapable question of a human being that a human being faces is the one that Pilate asked in Matthew 27, 22, our section here today. The question is, what then shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? You see that on your outline right there? Let, let's just say that question out loud. Ready? What then shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? Now, if you don't have your paper, you might have to look on somebody else's or get yours out. That might help you there. Huh? <laughs> One more time. Ready? What then shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? So that, that's what Matthew is, is setting up for us. He's telling us this story. He's laying out all the details. You see, Scripture proclaims clearly that Jesus is fully God. Long before his birth, it was divinely predicted that he would be called Emmanuel, 
which means God with us. Matthew 1.23, Isaiah 7.14. He is called by divine names, such as Holy and Righteous One, Acts 3.14. It declares that to know Jesus is to know God the Father, John 8.19 and 14.7. To hate him is to hate the Father, Matthew 15.23. And to believe in him is to believe in the Father, Matthew 10.40, John 12.44, and Matthew 14.1. Scripture affirms that to see him is to see the Father, John 14.9. To honor him is to honor the Father, John 5.23. And to receive Jesus is to receive the Father, Mark 9.37. Scripture proclaims that Jesus is omnipotent. All-powerful, Matthew 28, 18. He's omnipresent, Matthew 28, 20. Changeless, Hebrews 13 and 8. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Creator of the world, John 1, 3. And able to forgive sin, Mark 2, 5 through 10. And to be worshipped as God, Philippians 2, 9, Matthew 28, 9, and Hebrews 1, 6. Yet scripture also says that not only is Jesus fully God, he is fully human. He was born into the world just as every other infant. He was circumcised. He was, this thing's, I'm sorry, it's driving me crazy. I'm sorry, I'm going to get in the center. <laughs> sorry. I keep thinking, where am I looking? All right, scripture declares that he is fully human. He was born in the world just as every other infant. Circumcised, grew in body and mind, and experienced hunger, thirst, pain, weariness, temptation, and death. The Old Testament gives precise details about this coming of a Savior. Among many other things, predicted that his human life would be supernaturally conceived. Isaiah 7, 14. Born in Bethlehem, Micah 5, 2. The line of Abraham and of David. Genesis 9, 26. Matthew 22, 18. 2 Samuel 7, 14, be of the tribe of Judah, Genesis 49, 10, and would perform miracles, Isaiah 35, 5 through 6. In his death, he would be executed by rulers, Psalm 21, excuse me, Psalm 2, 1 through 2, forsaken by God, Psalm 22, 1, betrayed by a friend for 30 pieces of silver, Psalm 41, 9, Zechariah 11, 12, and have his beard plucked out and spit upon, Isaiah 56. In his resurrection, he would rise in three days, Hosea 6, 2, would not experience decay in his flesh, Psalm 16, 10, and would conquer death, Isaiah 25, 8, wow. What a Savior we have. Praise his name. You know, the Bible is uh, proclaiming, and Isaiah is laying this story out for us. Scripture declares that Jesus Christ is perfectly holy, perfectly loving in his, of his heavenly Father, and of the world he came to redeem. He is perfectly forgiving of sins, merciful to those who come to him. He is perfectly compassionate, perfectly faithful, perfectly prayerful. He is the central theme of the Bible, both the Old and the New Testaments. And whether men recognize it or not, he is the dominant figure in all of history and the determiner of the destiny of every human being. His cross and resurrection are the centerpiece moments of all time. Therefore, the issue for all of this is what then shall we do with Jesus who is called Christ? Woo! Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Hey, listen, I wrote all that out on there because you're going to need that. You need to study that. You need, that's what we need to know, right? 
That's our, that's our Savior right there. Uh, I love these giving these sheets to you because I want you to think about uh, what we're talking about. So Matthew uh, is, is right in this moment helping us to, uh, to think about uh, what is happening in this story. Uh, so we ended in 26 and now moving to 27, we're ready to think about what he is calling. Now here's how we're going to look at this today. Um, Matthew is taking some really difficult scenes and trying to use them to contrast the greatness, the glory, the innocence, the sinlessness of our Savior over against how he's being treated uh, by others. So we're going to look at two parts of this. First, some contrasts that are presented through Judas, who is the traitor, and how Matthew exalts Christ through the response of other people. Uh, so let's look at this passage and kind of walk through 27 together. So first of all, three contrasts that are presented by Matthew to us in relationship to Judas. So this is uh, 1 through 10 there. Uh, first of all, you see this contrast between the wicked leaders and the sinless Christ. So we have the wicked leaders and the sinless uh, Christ. Now, it tells us, uh, it says, early in the morning, all the chief priests and the elders of the people made their plans how to have Jesus executed. So, Matthew's giving us this story. The, the, the execution plan is, is coming about. Uh, it's telling us that they are ready to have Jesus executed. Uh, they had a couple of hurdles they had to, to get over. Uh, first, they had to, these, these leaders had to devise a way to make their decision to execute Jesus uh, somehow look legal. It was completely illegal, uh, even according to their own guidelines. Um, Mark tells us that they were all there, the, all the chief priests and the elders, as well as the scribes and the whole council. So all the religious leaders uh, have gathered there. So that's giving us this story. The second problem that they had was that the people knew that all the trials involving putting somebody to death, the death penalty, had to be done in a certain way, in the daytime, in the, the council of the Sanhedrin, in the temple courts uh, there. So they had to wait till morning. He's, they've had Jesus up. You know, he's been up uh, all night. Uh, they were in the garden, of, uh, they were at the Last Supper, and then they went out into the garden and they prayed and all the disciples are sleeping and Jesus, and then he's arrested and then he's taken to all these different places, Caiaphas' house, uh, taken to Herod. Um, now they're with, he's with the chief priests and they are coming against him to talk to him, to describe how they're going to take his life. But because they were not allowed to administer the death penalty according to Roman rule, the Jewish leaders had to go to Pilate. Uh, they bound him, they led him away, and delivered him to Pilate, uh, the governor. So we see this contrast between the wickedness of the religious leaders and the sinlessness of our Savior Christ. Second contrast you see in this story is the contrast between the guilty and the innocent, the guilty Jesus, excuse me, guilty Judas and the innocent Jesus. Say that again. The contrast between the guilty Judas and the innocent Jesus. Listen to these words. When Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. What is that to us, they replied. That's your responsibility. So Jesus, Judas threw the money into the temple and left. Then he went away 
and hanged himself. Uh, this is a dramatic picture, isn't it, of the, the traitor Judas. Uh, Jesus has been brought into trial, but because Jesus, Judas had uh, fulfilled his usefulness to them, he's, he's feeling this sense of remorse and he's coming and coming to the people. Judas had betrayed him. Uh, he saw that he was condemned. You know, the word saw there is a picture that he had, he had been watching. Uh, you know, the Bible tells us that when Jesus was in the midst of this trial, remember, Peter was watching. Peter was watching from a distance. Uh, that's how we, we know that he was watching what happened there and the, uh, the sense of repentance and the weeping as he wandered away. We see that, that, that Judas is watching the same. We don't know exactly what Judas hoped, but he was not hoping that Jesus would be condemned uh, to be executed. And so now he's watching this. He's feeling uh, this deep remorse. Uh, as Judas is watching this being carried out and leading him to Pilate, he begins to realize that he has sinned, that he has made a mistake. Uh, the sight has to be devastating. Notice uh, he feels remorse. The Bible does not tell us that he feels repentance, but he feels remorse. You know, it's not enough to feel bad about what you've done. You have to repent to God. You know, the, the word that, that Matthew uses there is not the typical word for repentance. That he was, he, he realized that he sinned, but he, he, he didn't necessarily repent. He didn't, go, he didn't go running to Jesus. He didn't try to communicate with Jesus. He didn't go running to one of the other disciples and try to figure out how to know. You know what he did? He went back to the, he went back to the priest uh, with those same 30 pieces of silver. And he throws those pieces of silver into the temple. You know, he want to, you know, he's trying to deal with the sorrow of his own soul, isn't he? He's feeling guilty about what he's done. You know, after, we have to be careful that feeling bad does not mean that you're right with God. Are, are you with me? Remorse, sadness over something bad that happens in your life. Because a lot of times, bad stuff happens to try to get you. God will use those things to get you to him. But he doesn't want you just to feel bad that something bad happens. He wants you to turn your life over in repentance to him. I, I'm recognizing that turning back to God. Uh, he, you feel like Judas could have done that? You think Jesus would have forgiven him? Absolutely. Uh, just like Peter, right? Uh, Peter had a choice about what he was going to do. And he uh, humbled himself before Christ, was forgiven, and he became one of, the, one of the greatest disciples, right? But Judas, Judas just feels remorse. He's broken. Don't, don't you think that no man, uh, nobody else that we know of had, it, had, had what Judas had? I mean, just think about it. 11 men, these only 11 other men in all of history had the intimate personal relationship that he had with Jesus Christ, our Savior, what Judas had. No, no other except these men had ever been exposed to the kind of truth that Jesus was teaching and his example. No man had been more exposed and given the opportunity of firsthand seeing God's love, compassion, power, kindness, forgiveness, and grace. Nobody had more evidence of Jesus being the divine son of God. And yet in this indescribable three years that Judas had with Jesus, Judas missed it. Judas missed it. You know what bugs me about this? I could have been Judas. You know, we, we want to paint him, 
you know, he's the worst of all time, you know. I don't, anybody name their kids Judas? <laughs> no chance. <laughs> no, we don't do that. We, we don't want to be a part of that. But as we talk about this this morning, um, Matthew's given us this contrast between this innocent, sinless one and the Judas that could have been on. Because sometimes we, we've missed it, haven't we? Aren't you grateful that he redeemed you? Aren't you grateful that your heart was tender enough? You know, we all have stuff that happened to us that could have caused us to be hard and cold against God, right? Are you sure? See, you don't look at, see, I know I got things in my life that could have led me to be the betrayer, to be the traitor, to be the one that walked away from God. Uh, you too. There's plenty of choices. Praise God. What we're doing this morning is being reminded that I'm so glad God got you tender enough to get you to him, to get you to bow your knee before him. Man, that's, that's incredible. So we recognize this uh, guilty soul uh, that, that Judas was. Judas had remorse, no repentance. He throws the money into the temple. Uh, they, they don't have any sorrow for him. Notice they, they say, that, that's on you. That's your response. What does that matter to us? I mean, if they didn't have any mercy for Jesus, they certainly, certainly weren't going to have any mercy for Judas. Throws the money in, blood money. Uh, they turn around and buy this, uh, this potter's field for that. So the last contrast, we got the wicked and the, um, the wicked leader, sinless Jesus, godly, uh, guilty Judas and the innocent Jesus. And now lastly, the contrast between the hypocrisy of men and the prophecy of uh, of God. That's the last little section here. These chief priests, notice, I think it's so interesting. They didn't have any problem taking 30 pieces of silver out of the temple treasury to pay for a betrayer, but they didn't want to put it back in there. You notice that? Uh, there, there's, there's such hypocrisy. Oh, we can't, you know, that's blood money. Ugh. But they had no problem paying it off on the on the front end. Uh, you see the hypocrisy of these men and the way that they, uh, they treated uh, Judas and then they go out and buy this, uh, this potter's field which the Bible tells us here that it was part of the prophecy of God. Even Jeremiah uh, mentions this, this whole scene here. You can, you can look that up in Jeremiah uh, 18 or 19. You can look in Zechariah 13. Uh, it's the equivalent of saying it's been recorded in the books. Just as God said it was going to happen, here it has happened. So even in Judas' betrayal and death, God's word is still honoring Jesus Christ as the sinless one, as the innocent one, as the one that has been proclaimed uh, as, uh, the, by the prophecy that was to come. So three contrasts we can see. Now, Matthew finishes this part of the story giving us responses from other people. Matthew exalts Christ through how others respond. Uh, let me, just a little brief thing. Uh, so many times when you read the Bible, uh, maybe you're wondering, what is happening in, in, this, in this passage, uh, especially in the New Testament through the Gospels? When you're reading stuff like that, you're reading about Judas and you're going, ugh. Um, realize that it's not about Judas, it's about Jesus. When you're reading that, Matthew is trying to exalt Jesus. He's lifting him up because that's what the story is about. We got all this grimy stuff underneath, but what he's trying to do is exalt Christ, lift him up, his sinlessness, his greatness. 
So through the response of some of these people, Matthew says, uh, here's where exalting Christ. I'll give you four responses. Uh, The fifth one will be our own. Number one, uh, we get the response of the Jews. Uh, This is all 11, verse 11 through 26. Uh, What is the response of, of the Jews? Well, the Jews accuse Jesus. The Jews accuse. Uh, the scripture tells us there um, that Jesus was, and while, the, while he was being accused by the chief priest and the elders, uh, 27, 12. Uh, so here are these chief priests, the elders, the religious leaders, they bring Jesus to Pilate. And it's early on Friday morning. It's been going on all through the night. And we, we hear that they come to this place of the judgment at Pilate's house. And they are seeking to take full advantage of the leverage that they can have against Pilate. They're trying to talk to him about political trouble and problems and they come accusing Christ uh, accusing Christ of uh, trying to judge uh, Rome against Caesar not willing to pay his taxes which all of that was absolutely not true right none of the evidence that you see Uh, You know, had Jesus been guilty of any one of these things that they were accused, Pilate would have known that. He would have known it long ago. Uh, He would have arrested him, maybe even executed him before. But the Jews and and some of the Gentiles there, they knew that Jesus was a man of peace, that he was in total submission to the Roman political authority, that he was willing to pay his taxes. And we've seen that through Matthew. He taught his followers to do likewise. He taught them that even if a soldier commanded you to to carry his gear for one mile, which was by Roman law, what permitted the Roman to do that. Remember what he said? Slap him in the face and walk away. No chance. He said, if he asks you to carry it one mile, carry it two miles. He, He wasn't coming against them. Remember when they wanted to make him king, the people came around and said, let's make Jesus our king. Well, he disappeared. Doesn't even tell us how he disappeared. He just slipped away, uh, the Bible tells us. He didn't want anything to do that. He's telling, they charged Jesus with being an insurrectionist, a terrorist, undermining the Roman world, but and claiming to be a political leader. But we recognize, and they did as well, that he was none of those things. And Pilate, even himself, knew it. So the next reaction is Pilate. The Jews accuse Pilate. He asked two questions of Jesus. He has more questions to ask, but just two that are directed at him. First of all, it says that uh, he asked him the question, are you the king of the Jews? And do you not hear how many things they testify uh, against you? Uh, Pilate knew good and well. You can, you can read this story. You know, Pilate just shows up in, in the Bible. He, he's not in there before. You know, he just shows up as this Roman leader. And you can recognize in his attitude and his choices that he didn't believe a thing that the Jews were telling him. The whole thing was so spurious there. They, uh, he asked Jesus the question, don't you hear? And the Bible says he made no answer. You know, don't you think that uh, Pilate had probably heard it all? Every time he brought some kind of uh, criminal or somebody that was being accused, I'm sure they didn't keep their mouth shut. I'm sure they were saying, I didn't do it. It wasn't me. Ask them. Ask them. Call in uh, this witness or that witness. You know, always trying to defend us. Wouldn't you have? But he's quiet. And Pilate can't figure it out. 
I'm, I'm sure he's thinking, where is this revolutionary who opposes Rome, a tax-dodging protester, a rival to Caesar's, Caesar's throne? Uh, maybe he's thinking all that. The man who stood before him, our Jesus, calm, serene, undefensive, completely at peace. You know, Isaiah said uh, seven centuries before, he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was like a lamb led to the slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before his shearers. He did not open his mouth. Isaiah 53, 7. What a holy moment. Jesus here before, before Pilate. Pilate's not only amazed, but he's sort of in a, a quandary uh, about what to do. And so he begins to talk to the crowd. What's the crowd response? The response of the crowd was their anger toward Jesus. Their anger toward Jesus. You know, when we have, um, when we have passion play, you know, we'll, there'll be a little scene over here and there'll be some, some people coming. It's the hardest people to cast in the play because these eight or ten people over here have to stand over here and start yelling, crucify him, kill him. He's a traitor. He's a betrayer. He's not our king, over and over. It's the hardest ones, isn't it? Like, um, I don't ever think we hear anybody say, oh, man, I love that part. <laughs> no, nobody wants to be that part, but that's the way the crowd was that day. He, he offers them an opportunity, and they spew out uh, this anger. Um, and it, it demonstrates to us, uh, once again, even through the, all these different responses, you see Matthew showing us how innocent uh, he was. Um, Pilate gives them an opportunity. How about Barabbas? You know, I, I think those three crosses on the hillside, one of them, probably that middle one, was for Barabbas, don't you think? That was, that, that was the one that was made for him. And so he says, we can, I can give you this murderer. Uh, he's trying to figure out a way out of this whole scene. He offers Barabbas, and they choose Barabbas, the murderer, over the innocent, sinless Christ. Then he says, what shall I do with Jesus? He turns his attention toward, toward Christ. Verse 24 when Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that instead of an uproar was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am innocent of this man's blood, he said. It is your responsibility. And all the people answered, his blood is on us and on our children. Then he released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. Wow. Wow. This last account here is um, Pilate coming and, and offering uh, that he won't have any part. When Pilate saw what he was accomplishing, he uh, decided he would, he would wash his hands of the whole thing. You know, he could have he changed this whole scene. He could have made it so different than it turned out. He said, I, his blood will be on you and not on me. The multitude that was there the multitude since then, uh, responding to Jesus. They brought him to the place to be uh, scourged, to be beaten, and led him off uh, to be crucified. 
So the question today is, uh, what, what is my response? What is our response going to be? You know, I am, uh, I am so grateful that Jesus Christ has forgiven my sin. I am so grateful that he, I, I, don't, I don't know why I am where I am, you know, but I know that my life would be completely different if it weren't for Jesus Christ. First, one thing I know is I wouldn't know you, not a one of you. I'm sure I wouldn't have landed in Illinois, you know. I'd be in Myrtle Beach or something somewhere, you know. But he's made it possible. I'm pretty sure I probably wouldn't have married her. And that would be bad. But if we did get married, we'd probably be divorced without Jesus. You know, he's made all the difference. I mean, I, my life... Man, my life is so good. I tell her that. I tell these guys all the time. My life is great, but it wouldn't be great without Jesus. It'd be a mess. I think back over things that happened. I'd probably be dead. You know, a lot of us just be dead if he hadn't protected us or healed us or things that happen in our life. You know, you, you, you and I have a choice. What are we going to do with Jesus? You know, you can... You can, be, um, you can be Judas with all the betrayal and uh, be a traitor. But you can also be like Pilate and ask a lot of questions but not make any decision. Just going to kind of wash my hands of that. There's a lot of people in our society that have done that. You know, nothing is more controversial if you're in the middle of a crowd, especially if there are unbelievers there, to mention Jesus. People start moving around. So some of them want you to be quiet. Some of them might, you know, but, uh, but you mentioned Jesus because he's the centerpiece of all time. I hope that you are so grateful that you're saved, that he, he knows you, and he gave himself for you, that you would be saved. Matthew is showing us this contrast of how so many other people have responded but how have you responded? Have you given your heart to Jesus Christ? Well, we have an opportunity to come to Jesus' table, to have a moment where we can gather and celebrate what he has done for us. I mentioned to you earlier, uh, billions of Christians in the world. I mean, people take communion Many times, all, all the time, every Sunday, we take them once a month uh, together. But today, can you, can you envision uh, all of us together as believers coming to the table of Christ and saying, thanks for this. Thanks for what you did. And thanks for making it so possible for me to know what this means. My heart is so tender today. Do you feel, you feel that for yourself? I, I, I hate to cry in church and all that. I know some of y'all cry, but I'm not supposed to be crying. But it uh, makes me cry what he has done. I'm not Judas. Praise God. I'm redeemed. I am redeemed. Would you say that? I am redeemed. That's what he came to do. So we're going to have some people that are coming help us.
while they're coming. Uh, could we just pray for these elements a moment? Heavenly Father, thank you for this story. Thank you for writing it down so we didn't miss it. And we see some that did miss it, but we're not missing it. And we're not even quite there yet. We're going we're gonna to see the, the totality of what happened to our Savior uh, when we talk about it next Sunday. But today, we're, we're glad that you made our hearts so tender that we could say yes to Christ. We're not running away. We're not doubting. We're saying today, I'm so happy that I'm redeemed. Bless these elements as they're served to us, as we eat and drink together in a few moments. May you be with us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Please serve us.
hope that will carry me home. Sing it. I am redeemed. You set me free. So I'll shake off these heavy chains, wipe away every stain. I'm not who I used to be. I am redeemed. You set me free. Stand up. So I'll shake off these heavy chains, wipe away every stain. I'm not who I used to be. Oh, I'm not who I used to be. Jesus, I'm not who I used to be. I am redeemed. Thank God, redeemed. That's why we have church. That's what we're about. This story has changed everything. Today, I hope you got one of these cups and this little piece of bread because you're welcome here because you're redeemed. Given your life to Christ, given your whole heart to him, this is your meal. Oh, I'm sure you'll eat something else today or you know, sometime this week you have a big meal, but you won't eat anything better than this, this piece of bread that recognizes what he has done for you. I'm redeemed because he allowed his body to be broken, nails in his hands and feet, and today I say with great joy, I'm redeemed. Would you say that? I'm redeemed. Let's eat this bread in remembrance that Christ died for us. Mm, that's good, isn't it? <laughs> this cup. Remember he talked about the cup. Could this cup pass from me? He said in Gethsemane. But he's moving there. He's given himself for you. He knows you could have been Judas. He knows you could have been Pilate. You could have been in the crowd. But you're not. You're in the crowd of believers. And your heart is crying out. I'm redeemed. I'm saved. I'm transformed. My life is completely different because of what Jesus Christ did to me. That makes this a great drink, doesn't it? Best drink of the day right here. Thinking about his blood and what he's given for us. Let's drink this juice in remembrance that Jesus Christ gave his life for us. And he says, be very thankful. I'm redeemed. Say it one more time. I'm redeemed. Let's drink together. Lord Jesus, thank you for the celebration in this place today. Thank you for the anointing of your sweet spirit. We pray, oh God, that today we be so reminded of who we are. 
because of what you have done for us. Keep our heart tender and longing for you. Help us to walk with you. Help us to walk with you not only today, but all the days of our life. We thank you for the cross. We thank you that we are not who we used to be. We are redeemed and we celebrate you today. Lord, thank you. And I pray that throughout this week, you'd remind us, help us to to read this, this next section of Matthew 27 and have on our hearts this incredible final part of the story that leads you to death on this cross for us. Today, we celebrate it and we praise you together in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. Love a bunch of people before you go. Have a good day.